Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Hey everyone, welcome to Group Text. My guest today has been in, God, I hate saying this, showbiz forever. I think I, I think I only I think I have like a couple months on you only because my mother went into labor on stage. Ricky Lake not only started singing and play and pay, playing for audiences when she was nine, she created the iconic role of T- Tracy Turnblad in John Waters' original cult hit Hairspray in 1988. We're going to get to that because it's not the hairspray you think of. She hosted her own talk show, Ricky Lake, from 93 to 2004, returned to daytime from 2012 to 2013 with the Ricky Lake Show, which I did and had very good craft services, which won her a daytime Emmy. You were in China Beach. You did Dancing with the Stars, King of Queens. I'm just going to say it. My guest is a TV workhorse. Ricky Lake, so good to see so you. So nice to see you. I, I I have so many facets of you and us knowing each other professionally, personally. I, of course, knew your mom. And and our kids went to preschool together. I so know, it's really, well, really good to see you. And we have mutual friends. And we have mutual. I mean, we, we have a very long history. And rarely can you say in this town a very good history. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I can't say I know you that that well. We've never had dinner one on one together, but everyone loves you, you know, and, and everyone you, loves you, you are. Thank you. And and you are exactly like like you're exactly who you think she is. You are, you know, you're just a Ooh. very, very authentic and down to earth person, which is not what people to, think. <laughs> that is what people think. What do you, I hope yes. so. Oh, that's but, what I think. OK, thank you. I have stuff and in and, and looking at this, there's stuff I actually didn't know about you. Hard okay, to believe. What? Okay, you've been in showbiz since you started singing in cabarets and nightclubs at nine. No, well, you- I started singing lessons at nine. So I don't know if that's like a Google, whatever you looked yeah, up, is. but Wikipedia. I started singing, like taking singing lessons. And I started performing like in a little place called Don't Tell Mama. Your mom might have played that that club. It's on Forty Sixth yeah. Street in the theater district. Like it's an institution. And I sang there with a group of kids in a thing called the Early Show. I did it for about three and a half years. The famous people that came out of that, Tashina Arnold was in that cast. If you know who that is, that singer yes. from Martin. And uh, anyway, a lot of people. But uh, yeah, I did sing, and I did Young Stars with Debbie Gibson. I sang with her from the time I was like thirteen to about sixteen. So we uh, sort of grew up together. I was going to say, it really does. Find, I find it fascinating that you skipped over all of middle school theater and Once Upon a Mattress right to two drink minimum. Oh, and don't tell you- mom. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, that was the part that counted. I was actually like performing for people that were paying to be there, you know, which is crazy. <laughs> it's I've had a wild ride. My life is like a movie. I say it all the time. Do you remember what you guys sang? Um, I remember what I, I sang, um, oh God, what was my song? My big song was like this very seductive song. So I was this very chubby, overweight, awkward girl singing like, oh, it was, um, where the boys are. 
That's what oh I said. Oh my god! Yeah, and like big loud belt, and I was definitely the the worst of the of the group. But um, but it was really it was really a great start for me to be able to learn how to perform for an audience professionally. Did your parents realize that the the irony that was going on and the campiness that was part of that show? What which show? The the the, the kids show that I did as a yeah that you said and yeah, where I the mean, boys are. I yeah I know I um. I don't think so. I don't think so. But I think it was a perfect precursor for, you know, a few years later to do Hairspray and be Tracy Turnblad, you know? Yeah, that was fascinating to me because you were a freshman at where? I was at Ithaca College. At Ithaca. So, uh, yeah, five hours New from York. New York City. Yes, Cold. upstate New York. Freezing. It was, a, it was a really miserable year. I mean, I don't mean to throw Ithaca under the bus all the time, but it was, it was, it was awful. I mean, I was, I fell in love with a guy who was gay, but hadn't come out yet. So oh, here great. I am, I'm 200 pounds and I'm struggling with like, you know, trying, I was not sexually active. I was not even close. And so that didn't work out for me. And then I was in the musical theater department. They didn't cast me in one show in the entire year I was there. You know, the one woman who's my mentor or my, my, my teacher. And she would, she would tell me that I wasn't, you know, talented, that I should move on and find something else. So it was a miserable time for me. And then during finals week of my freshman year, I got the call for to go in for Hairspray. And it just, you know, that going to that audition and driving five hours to meet John Waters, who I didn't even know who he was. I was going to say, did you know who John Waters was? I'd never heard of him. I'd never heard of Divine. I was super green and just naive and sheltered from everything. And uh, yeah, I mean, he just, he, for some reason, saw Tracy and me, and um, it went on to, to open every door and change the trajectory of my life. So did your agent call you or did a casting agent call you? I think I read it in like a backstage or stage, you know, show business, right. you know, one of the ta- those, those newspapers. I think it was an ad and it said they were looking for a heavy set, a fat girl who could dance. And, you know, I was, I definitely was larger, large size, but I, you know, thought I could move pretty well. And I just went on a whim. I mean, it was a very impulsive kind of decision. And I remember getting a speeding ticket on the five hour drive down. <laughs> and and I also remember very, very distinctly meeting John Waters and just looking at him with that weird mustache. And, you know, he smoked at the time and that was when you could smoke inside. And he was just this personality. And, you know, and I, I, I just did what I could with the two scenes I read. And he brought me back for a dancing callback and then uh, moved to Baltimore for that summer. And it was just... It was magic. I mean, it, 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 in the moment, it felt like summer camp. You know, John's, you know, crews, he shoots everything in Baltimore. Everything, yes. you know, can, comes from where he's from. His crew are, they're called the Dreamland family. It's all the same people, every movie. And I made, you know, I made a total of five movies with him, three I starred in. And um, it's like a family. It's like, it's, you know, and they're misfits and they're, you know, underdogs and they're, you know, different and they're amazing. And, um, yeah, making Hairspray, making Crybaby and Serial Mom and then going off to do my talk show. And now I make these documentaries. You know, I'm just like, I, my career has just had so many different twists and turns and I've loved every single one. I, I, I'm shocked that you went to an open casting call mm-hmm. and it all started from that. Yep. I mean, you had to walk in. I mean, did you have, you, you didn't know who John was. How did you explain him to your parents? How did you explain what you were doing? And then explain the kind of people you were working with because you had a very traditional pretty much 
background. Yeah, background I don't, and family and like I wasn't hot. around openly gay people. You know, even except the guy I was in love with at college who wasn't gay at that. You know, wasn't out at that time. He just I, liked your shoes. He what? He, he just liked your. I shoes. I mean, looking back on it, it's so obvious. But in the yeah. moment, he no. was so cute and pretty and. He was, you had uh, the same. I don't know interests. what happened to him. I've never, I've never found that guy. And, but uh, you had the same interests in theater, and yeah, I we mean, were yeah, totally, totally. And I, you know, I was so awkward back then. But I, wait, I forgot what your question was. My question what was, was question? how did you explain to your parents? So okay, so I got this movie, and it's with these people you've never heard of, and they're really weird. And I'm going off to Baltimore. Well, I didn't know any of that beforehand. And well, all okay, knew, when you walked in and saw that John was off. Yeah, but I was 18 years old. I mean, what was my mother going to do? I was making money for the first time in my life. I made $20,000 on that film. And so this was like, you know, this was this was a success story, no matter how the movie turned out. You know, I mean, I, I really, it gave me the opportunity to leave school and to not have to go back. And I never right. went back. That still had to be a big old eye opener the first time you meet Divine in the hair and makeup trailer. I, I met him before we started shooting and I went to his hotel at the Belvedere Hotel in Baltimore and I went to his suite and I remember it was like, like, like the sun was about to set so it was like dark inside and, and you know, it was intimidating because I, then I'd heard about Divine and I knew that Divine wanted to play my part. He was really upset that he didn't get to play both the mother and the daughter, which he had done in Female Trouble. So he was, you know, definitely like just who who is this bitch <laughs> who is this girl that got my part but I grew on him and he did he's like taught me to walk in heels I remember he's like no 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 you do it like this and he got up and like showed me how to do it um he was amazing and the fact that we I mean I think your mother sent flowers when he died she probably did she did I think she did uh, yeah uh, he died eight days after hairspray opened so here like my my whole life, you know, my, I'm, I'm becoming like a star overnight. And here, my beloved co-star, it just died in his sleep at 42. He was out in L.A. doing an episode of Married with Children. So well, I don't think what people necessarily, because you're so so known for hairspray, they don't really know the hairspray necessarily that you were in. They don't? In, I, I think, well, I think there's also a generation that only knows Hairspray the Musical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, I, you know but you were yeah. in the original Hairspray, which was not the musical. And even though it was camp, it really is about race relations in Baltimore. Right. There right. was a real message in it. And that, and that stands the test of time, unfortunately. That, you know? Yes. And then it went to Broadway and became a musical. Then the movie was made. Right. Right. And I have Which a cameo is, in that in that yes, film. Yes, you did. And I sang on the soundtrack. It was super cool and really like an honor to be a part of all the iterations of Hairspray. Well, the thing is, it's so clean and sanitized. It's now in high schools. Did you even have, obviously that did not cross. It was not that way in 88. I mean, we I, I'd never had a movie come out before, you know, so I, I didn't know what to expect. And no, I mean. You know, it was a very, very low budget independent film. I think it cost them two and a half million dollars to make and it didn't gross very much money, but it was a it was a critical success. There were yes. great reviews and I was discovered and people said great things about me. But the fact that I mean, Mark, Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman are geniuses. Yes, and they came and turned what was a very, you know, a very special movie. Hairspray, the original is very special. It holds up today. And to turn it into this musical that was so extraordinary and the cast from Marissa to, I mean, it just was something, you know, like, like a needle in a haystack, you know, 
And uh, it was a weird moment for me going back and seeing. I went to, the, of course, the opening of the Broadway show. Yeah. I also had them on my show, on my talk show to, to promote the show. It was it was bittersweet for me because I'm a singer. You exactly. Know, it had to be, I, you know, you're a you're a you're a singer dancer and you're like, mm, I want to sing that song. Yeah, well, no, I, before when it was being done, I wanted to audition for my part for me. And, and John Waters said, he goes, you're not, you know, what did he say? You're too old and you're not fat anymore. And, uh, and I was like, oh, OK, I mean, he had a point. I wasn't and I, maybe I was too old, but it was, like, it was still fuck you was, and thank you. It was hard. exactly it was it was it was heartbreaking. And then it was then I got over it. And it's like now, nah, you know, it, it's such a great feeling to see all these young women take over this role and frickin shine. I mean, Marissa to to Maddie Balio to Nikki Blonsky. I mean, they kill it. They kill it. So I mean, what it, it's such a what people don't know. It's such a star turn. It is. And I think what it represented, like, look at, you know, being a larger size or a normal size woman, young woman, to be able to win the guy and win or win the contest and get the guy. I mean, it's just like it's messaging that I think is really, really powerful for, for young girls to see. And yeah. still is. I think and so, too. Was yes, more edgy so. was edgy messaging in the beginning. Um, yeah, you know, you talk about that. You mentioned that John has these ongoing relationships with people. Mm-hmm. John um, Waters, yeah. Yes. My mother, so he used to send my mother Christmas ornaments every year. Did you ever get those, the glass oh, bulb yeah. with the every cockroach year. in them? Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I still have it in a box somewhere. So do what, I. What, what did your mother think? Did she oh, laugh My about mother it? adored John. Adored. That's not surprising at all. Because you're talking about two people that always felt like misfits. Yes, yes. Well, you know, I got to do something because, I mean, just to see your mom with John, like in a room or at a dinner table, I mean, that would be so fun. I got to introduce John Waters to Mel Brooks <gasps> in, London, in London. It was such a moment. We all, we all got to, it was, it was surreal and great. Like I said, my, my life is like a movie and I was out there doing some appearance and I happened to be at the Savoy and ran into Mel and then like, struck up this thing this had this friendship with him when he invited me to see young frankenstein the next night and then that night i brought john waters to to meet and talk with mel Brooks. it was unbelievable who was more excited to meet mel or john i could see I, mel i, I think being it was equal. incredibly I think it was excited equal. to meet john they were both they were both so great i mean i just they're, they're like two of my favorite favorite people in this business and your mom is also up there it's just like it was it was magic, you know, to see these legends in real life, up close, talking, shooting the shit, you know. Okay, the Ricky Lake show, and then we're going to talk about the podcast because it's all intertwined. The new podcast, Raised by Ricky, you re-examine your talk show from the 90s and re-examine past episodes. Who came up with this idea? Uh, you know him too. Because you just told me something before we started talking that I knew you were in the running for the for this, this talk show. So Garth Anseer Garth is the mastermind behind the Ricky Lake show. I give him yes. all credit for just he was like a numbers guy. He came up through Brandon Tartikoff at NBC and he was this young whiz. And he looked at the genre of talk television at that time in the early 90s and saw that all of the Oprah, Phil Donahue, Sally Jesse, those sh shows all skewed in the age range of over 50. 
And so he was looking at the market of young people and, you know, trying to reach that market in that genre. And so the concept was to find a young woman to host uh, a younger skewing talk show. Right. And I was one of a hundred women and I'd always heard that Melissa, you were one of them. Ray Don Chong was another. Yeah. And then a model, um, Veronica Webb. I forgot about the other two. Yes, it was the four of us. So that so those were the names that I remember. And then also the show, um, Jane Pratt had a show called Jane. Jane. Which I was got a your, local oh my show. God. How do you yeah, even so no, remember th- okay, this? The only reason I remember is because Stuart Krasnow was on my podcast and he reminded me. No, but like, I don't remember a lot, but it's going and doing this show that I'm getting to really like look at everything, how it was done, the decisions that were made, the rise of the show, all of it, all of it. It's been really interesting. Um, but yeah, yeah, it came Jane down to a, the Jane four of a, us. And I forgot yeah. about that. I forgot the Jane show. So she was on for, I think, like 16 weeks. And she was really good. And it was doing well in these local markets. But they wanted, I don't know why they they made, they changed their direction. I think they went a little younger. I, I, I'm not exactly quite sure because I actually thought she was very good. But Jane was an adult. Is that what it was? Because, yeah, maybe she was a little older. They wanted she was. She was an adult. She was a magazine editor. She right. was all these things. She was where, polished and she I was, was definitely not. <laughs> and then all of us were like, I was coming off MTV. You know what I mean? It was, it, we were a different breed. Right, right. Well, we I diff- met with them. I don't know if you went, when you met, I was like living in a pool house, like way in the valley north of Victory. And I got a call from someone who like had my number. It wasn't even through my agent. And they said, oh, you know, these guys are, you know, whatever. Come meet these guys at the, on the Fox lot. And that's the only reason I like took it seriously. I was like, oh, it's actually on the, on an actual studio lot. So I went and met with Wait, Garth. the studio or the TV lot? It was the, it was. It was at Fox um, TV on Motor, that place like Motor. That, no, that's, that's the big studio. one. That's the big that's one. That's the big one. So that's mm-hmm. where my meeting was with them because I think he was working there at the time. I have no idea, but it was Garth Anseer. I remember Kevin Mikowski and Charles uh, Dabney. He's now Charles Perez. He had a show too. And so I met with them and flirted with them. They were all gay, but I was, I, would, I didn't care. I was wearing a big hat. And I just remember just shooting the shit with them for a couple hours. And then that turned into like, we, we want you to do the pilot. I mean, it was like that. Like, just like, okay, okay, I'm going to New York to do a pilot for a couple weeks, you know? I, my meeting was with two of the three, and it was at, the first meeting was at a restaurant, because I wouldn't set set, set foot on the Fox lot. Why? Because because they they fucked your mom over? Yep. I wouldn't (sighs) set foot on the Fox lot. Tell anything to do by with the Fox the way, TV By the way, lot. can we make a deal right now? You have to come and tell this story on my podcast. 100%. Okay. okay. One, okay. And okay. so you got the show, huge hit. I then booked, uh, I then did my own pilot for Universal TV. Okay. What that, year? The following year? The following year that did okay. not go. Or was it, wait, was it the following year? What your show was? My show was 93. 93, yes, yes. You did um, that didn't, or no, it was two years later, didn't go. So it was and when Carney, did Carney come on that same year? I don't remember. I just know that mine didn't get picked up, but you ready for Small World? John Henson was yeah. my warm up. No way. Yeah. No and we shot way. it in New York. From Talk was, Soup, the guy from Talk yep, Soup, right? Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. So, okay, but back to your show, but I'll definitely come on and talk about it because we have all Stuart Krasnow who totally. have ended up, but Stuart ended up working on my mom's talk show, her daytime that's talk right. show. Right. Oh my God, oh, that's right. I know, it's very incestuous. So, at the time, 
Oh, so who came up with the idea? Garth? Garth. Garth, is, it was his idea. And he picked me and he... No, I'm saying for the know. for the podcast. Oh, for the... Uh, what do you mean, who picked me? What do you mean? No, I'm picked? saying who just came up with the idea for the podcast. Oh, 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 oh. oh. Okay. Lemonada Media. These two women, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they are badasses. They're, they're super young, both moms, and they came together to start their first podcast two years ago called Last Day, which focused on both of their brothers had died of heroin overdoses. So they each took on the opioid crisis through this one show. You might have known Stephanie Whittles Wax, his, her brother, Harris Whittles. Did you ever know who Harris, mm-hmm. Harris Whittles? He's a, he was, he, I mean, from what I know of him, he was, he was incredible. He was like under Sarah Silverman's wing. Anyway, they produced the show and now they've gone on to create all this content. Their motto is to make life, to make content that makes life suck less. And they approached me um, wanting to do a retrospective of my old show because I'd been asked to do a podcast every year since podcast came out with different companies. And it never kind of resonated. It never like lit up for me. And then talking to them and hearing what they're about, seeing the content they produce with a, and, and looking at the real structure of a, of a show about something um, specific which I thought 90s nostalgia, I think it just be, could be really, really fun and really cathartic for me. And I have this amazing co-host, Kaylin Allen. I don't know if you know who he is. Who He's wasn't incredible. alive when your show was on. Exactly. Well, that's the point. That's the point. They really had, they, I mean, my team, Jess and Steph and my producing team, they wanted to bring on someone that was so from a different world and didn't grow up with me. So he's black, he's gay, he's from Kansas City, and he's 26 years old. And he's, he has his own real perspective on, on life. And he is, he's so smart and so quick. And I love working with him. It's, it's really been, it's been, we've been a lot of fun. Okay. So, did you realize at the time how cutting edge the show was? Wait, my my, my your talk, talk show, show, your actual talk show. I mean, I knew because we looked at the ratings. Like, I knew it was popular, but it's like when you're doing a talk show, you're in such a grind. It's, I mean, maybe it's like when you were at E and doing your shows. It's like it's. I had to do 195 a year, so it's like it's just you're in it, and it's like your life is. It feels like it's surreal, but it's really your life, and you're just in it. So it's 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 almost now all these years later that I'm looking at what happened and how, what if, what, how lucky we were and how special it was. And like, I just don't think when I'm in it, I was able to really step outside of it and look at it from a different perspective. And it's now that I'm doing this project. I get to see, wow. Like, you know, you look at the shows that are on the air, Sherry Shepard and Jennifer Hudson, all the, and you look at their ratings and what makes a success for them now, these ratings. Oh, it's vastly different. I mean, it's just a different thing. It's a different model. Totally. You took on topics, you know. We took on, our show is relationship-based. So we dealt with every single relationship you can think of that young people are interested and invested in. And we always took it from the younger kid, the younger person's perspective. So Oprah would do a show. uh, My daughter, you know, is driving me crazy. She dresses like a whatever. Uh, And and we would do, my mom can't can't figure me out. Uh, You know, it's, it's just, it was almost like a gimmick. But it really gave the audience, the crux of our audience, a way of feeling like they were being seen and heard and represented, you know? You know? If you could do the show again, is there anything that you would have changed, like not necessarily have on people who are like KKK members or this or that? Do you look at some of it and go, mm, little bit of a cringe? I mean, there's definitely moments where I'm sure I'm going to be having to face that looking at back at all these episodes where I said something that was just stupid or insensitive or hurtful, or we did topics that maybe 
cross the line, you know, that you could get ways. canceled for today. Yes, I'm sure there are those moments. But I mean, I look back overall at the work that I did and the way I behaved and the way I shared and the and just the respect I gave to everyone that came on my show. Um, I do think we did a lot of good. Yes, there was a lot of fluff and a lot of nonsense and a lot of, you know, cheating baby daddies and this one's a whore and all that. But I, you know, in talking to people that had real, like, like life-changing things happen to them after they were on the show in a, in a good way, you know, it, it's, and, and hearing stories of gay people that grow up in middle America and that don't feel like they are with anyone like them and they were able to turn this show on every day and see themselves represented in it or it made them feel comfortable in coming out and being themselves. I mean, that's meaningful and that I really take a lot of pride in. It's really, okay. It's cool. I'm going to, I'm going to pivot from meaningful to things that interest me. Okay. Okay. We're going to have to discuss looking back on some of your, on, on the fashions. On my, fa- oh God, honey. I, I mean, <laughs> let me, I, put me on the target and take the arrow and shoot because I can't take any responsibility because I had someone that did the styling and I just put on what they put in front of me that fit. But don't you look <laughs> back at the fashions of the time and think, oh dear God. I mean, I look at pictures of myself. We started the red carpet, I think it was 96. And I go back and there's still stuff I love and there's stuff where I go, what the fuck was I thinking? And I thought I was so cool and you know, the one thing I still resent, I got blasted for wearing wood jewelry that had diamonds in it. Oh my gosh. Because I was wearing, a, it, it, it was so, and I look back and I'm like, fuck you, that was chic. And I was ahead of myself. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, well, are you prepared to look back at the hair and the makeup? Of course, of course. Let me, let, uh, yes. And, and I, can, I can see it with a fresh set of eyes that this was the times. This was, and you know, the way they dressed me, it was specific in the beginning. They wanted to make me look older. So all those blazers, all that, you know, that, that coiffed hair that I had, it was all to make me look as mature as possible so that people would believe I would be, you know, in that, in that role of being, you know, moderator and host, you know? Um, but yeah, I did not really, I mean, I'm, I'm like a, a fat girl at heart always. Like I just, I don't know what looks good on me no matter, you know, it's just, I, I'd rather let someone else do it. You know, like right. I don't take, I don't take an interest really in fashion unless I'm really skinny, unless I'm really like at my, but that's not, that's not happening anymore. I'm I know the feeling at one point you're like, I can't do this anymore. What, I'm okay if there one episode that you remember that sticks out either one I mean, you loved or were proud of or one that you go oh my god this one is going to haunt me for the rest of my life well i talked about like so so the wig snatch moment is probably the most infamous of any yes. moment on my show and that was season one and that was really i want to find those women i'm dying to find them and the guy in the middle we've got it we've got it i forgot their names but we remind have people them. what the wig snatch was the wig snatch was basically this woman came on to confront her boyfriend that he's been cheating on her with this other woman and you know we had the doorbell and the, but but one thing was the first season and we had the the, the opposition the, the the cheater on and we had her seated in the middle between the guy and the girl and what happened in that moment is that the girl was in reach of 
her her wig and she pulls it off <laughs> and then you know it was very dramatic because she was wearing whatever a wig cap underneath but then her hair was like orange under so the wig color and the hair was like very shockingly different and then she does like a one two and she grabs the the wig cap and it was it was very funny it was very memorable it was very like 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 now like like you don't touch any woman's hair, hair. particularly you know, yeah, you don't, you don't. It's just not. Anyway, so we, after that show, we no longer put, when we had the conflict come out, they wouldn't sit directly next to the person they're mad at. Live and learn. We'd have them switch seats. So yeah, our producing protocols changed after that. So that was a very memorable moment. Um, I don't, I, I mean, I had Fred Phelps on, that guy that was that awful Westboro Baptist church who's long dead, but he would pick it at AIDS victims' funerals. I mean, he was just such a monster, and we had him on, and that was a moment where I kicked him off my show. Um, memorable to me. Very I know, memorable. I, mean, I love the Weave Wars. I love the drag shows. I, I mean, I love it all. I love it all. And I, you know, what I love is that so many people that are our age, younger, a little bit older, they loved it too. So it's just been a, Real pleasure to do this show and kind of go back in time with everyone. Oh, so much fun. So much fun. Especially because you look back at it with pride. You don't look back at it and go, oh, dear God. No, I loved it. I loved it. And I love that that wasn't just my heyday. Like, I love that I went on to oh. become a documentary filmmaker and make, you know, even more of an impact the way Your I last documentary mm-hmm. was a very big deal. Which, the one about birth control? Yep. Yeah, it's still coming out. I'm leaving. I'm going to Berlin next week for the Berlin Human Rights Festival where it's playing, and I'm playing it in London. It's opening in all these other countries right now. Yeah, we've had a really hard time in the U.S. because, guess what? Big Pharma is in bed with every fucking, you know, network and whatever. It's very hard. So I could go on, you know, Good Morning America and talk about my hair, my hair loss, but I couldn't show a clip of this really, really important documentary about choice about women's options when it comes to their reproductive health you know i am not an expert on all things birth control but i am really interested in having the conversation right you know and you know i made my first film about birth and it's called the business of being born it's to me in my lifetime i can say this really 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 strongly that it's the best thing most important thing i'll have done in my entire career um it was so personal and i really wanted to again, explore and have the conversation about birth options and the C-section rate in this country and midwifery care, all that stuff, you know? Well, that's a great pivot to our kids because our boys went to preschool together. Preschool. 10th Street Preschool. <laughs> we survived. Walk feet. Walk Ex- feet. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I just, I mean, that time. So, so that was Owen. And that, that was, was husband son. number Number one, one, and I was going through a divorce during yes. that time. It was, it was. As was very... the head of our preschool, and so was I. Yes, and I yes. think oh, that's yes. why we got in. I think oh. that's why we got in. I swear to God. When I got in, we hadn't gotten, we hadn't filed yet. So I don't think that had anything to do with it. But, but. Oh, and, I'm and convinced that's why I got in. Really? Okay. That, yeah. Because I no, felt like we she were... needed someone else who was going through it. Yeah, that was a very difficult time. I was going to say hard time. It was hard, but it was also joyous because that preschool was really special and our kids were so freaking cute. And I got so much out of like being there and, and, you know, participating in that world. And then, you know, the ugly side of ending, ending, uh, your union is, is really challenging, really challenging. I sat on the couch and cried hysterically the last day of Cooper at 10th street. 
Mm, I probably did too. I did not cry when my kids went to college. I don't know about you. Did you cry when he went? I was a sobbing mess. I was so ready. I was so ready to have my time. You know, I really, yeah, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't cry. I was happy for them. It's like, okay, now I can like new chapter in a lot of ways. I mean, your kid is still your kid and you're always there for them, but when they're like not physically in your space, like I'm living in my new house and I don't have a room for them. Like they, they can visit and crash here, but I don't have rooms for my children or the four children that my husband has. Well, that's, we're going to get to that in a minute, but I do want to share one thing for you. So Cooper plays lacrosse. And they do the player introductions. They put them up on the big screen and they, you know, say blah, 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 where they went to high school and their position. And my very silly son goes, Cooper Endicott, midfielder, 10th Street Preschool. Oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's so funny. that always made me laugh. So you're a newlywed, basically. Are you, are you single? Are you in partner? I don't even, I have I have. What's the latest? The latest is not, is I'm just started dating someone. Okay. I am cautiously optimistic. Okay. Good, good, good. I'm cautious. Okay. I cannot believe you went for this a third time. Are you oh, just a masochist? Oh, I, I mastered a glutton it. For, a glutton I literally, for punishment. I literally, I have figured out, I have cracked the code. I could, I am the happiest. I, I mean, this is not hyperbole. I am the happiest person I know the two of us. He's so wonderful, Melissa. He's he's my person. I mean, and I I also like I'm spiritual. And my 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 last husband who died, Christian, he passed away. He he suffered from bipolar disorder. Yes, and he took his life. And, and by the way, as someone who does a lot of work, you know, having been having had my father commit suicide and done a lot of work with suicide prevention, I cannot begin to tell you how you being open about it, it makes a huge difference. Oh, thank you for saying that because that makes me cry. Um, that it makes really, a difference. Really makes me emotional. Normalizing the conversation. I don't know how else to be because it was something like, you know, and I think his family, his family appreciates, A, that I keep his legacy alive. You know, he wanted to help people. And I do feel like it is helping someone and I get people reaching out to me. But for me, it's helpful to, for me to keep talking about it. Um, yeah, it's, it's just been so, it's been such a journey and such a gift in a lot of ways. Like I am a different person having loved this man and lost him and gone through the journey of his mental illness. I have such a new level of compassion and empathy for people suffering, people I see on the street, homeless. You know, it's like, it just yeah. impacts you so deeply. And I believe Christian, he, he was not functioning well as a, as an inhuman earth life form right but wherever he's now he is so powerful and he is in his prime and he is watching over me and i believe he handpicked my my beloved ross okay me. how did you guys meet we met during covid so it's just it's the most it should never have happened that's why it doesn't make sense i would think it was divinely planned i was living in the marina waiting for my malibu house to be done this took seven and a half years this project it was of course nightmare. it did so I was living in the marina, but getting really sick of paying that rent and living there, you know, with when I had this house. So I was there at the time. It was during COVID. 
it was right in June of 2020. So like really, it's, it's when we were washing our groceries and wearing gloves everywhere. You know, it was that. Right. And I went on a beach walk as I did every day with my dog. I lived on the, the channel and I ran into a, an acquaintance. I can't even say she was a friend. She was someone I had met years earlier, you know, but you hadn't seen people in weeks. So you get so excited and she, oh my God. And we had this, em- not embrace, but like like just this exchange. And she said, you know, how are you going? How's it going? How's it going with your boyfriend? I was like, oh, I'm not with him. I had been dating this guy and we had broken up for that two week period. And she's like, well, what are you looking for? And I said, oh, and I hit this like moment of like clarity and just, just, I just was, and cynicism. Like I was really kind of cynical and I just said, I want, can I curse on your show? Oh, please. Oh, so I, I, I said, I want someone who has their fucking shit together, please. Oh, that was like okay. mine. I want someone who's, I wanted someone who wasn't an asshole. Okay, I, then my second thing was I want someone who doesn't want a fucking kid, okay, because I was dating this guy that was older but wanted a kid, and I'm, I'm done with that. And then I said, I want someone who wants to have fun. Like, I am at the stage of my life, it's all about fun. And she said, I, you know, I know this guy. He lives on the he lives on this beach right around the corner. She's like, I, I know he doesn't want kids. He has a bunch of them already. I know he has shit together. He's a really successful attorney. I don't know if he's fun, but I think you could bring the fun out of him. And she gave my number. He called that day. We went on a first date. Do you like hearing this drawn out story? I, love, I feel like I'm I too, love. Okay. No. Okay. Where did and you go on your first date for co- was, during COVID? He had just bought a beach condo around the corner from me. So we ended up meeting on and, and we're on his deck because you had to be outside. So I brought right. over a bottle of wine. And it, the story goes, you know, he's six foot six. Okay. Oh my God. And you are. And I am 5'3 on a good day. So like me, I'm 5'3 after the chiropractor. I had shaved my head. I had shaved my head. So I had like this, like, little fluff of gray hair, my Burning Man hat, my big giant Moo my Cass Elliot Moo and uh, and my dog, my little dog. And I tripped out of my Tesla and he's like looking at me and he's like, I look 400 pounds. He said it was like uh, false advertising. And <laughs> he looked at me and he's like, nah, I don't think so. He, you know, anyway. So we had this first date. It was nice conversation, but it, I was interested in him. A, because I was in between the other guy, you know, I was on a break with him. And he was an ex-devout Mormon. And (gasps) I was fascinated. And I wanted to learn everything about. So I went out with him and he became my booty call. And then I got kind of bored with hearing because I learned everything I wanted to know about Mormonism. And but I kept seeing him every couple of weeks in between Jeff and he knew about the other guy. I was totally straight up with him. I said, I'm really messed up about this guy. And it was COVID. I was like self-medic. I was just kind of a head case. And then on Halloween of 2020, I don't know if you're into this shit, but the blue moon, there was a super blue moon. Everyone was talking about it. All my friends are like, you got to pay attention. It's a portal. It's a whatever. And that was the night on Halloween night that I finally saw Ross for the first time. And I did literally, I did a double take, like in my apartment, I was looking at him in the marina. And I said, oh, oh, it's you. You're the one. And it just hit me and my heart opened and it was on. I mean, that was it. And he, he, I mean, he will never admit that he was way, way into me, like early on, but he was, (laughs) he was, he was. I know know. he was. And he was just, you know, he was dating other people and, you know, we weren't serious. But then we got serious and we moved in together into this house, my beautiful dream house on Valentine's Day. He proposed that night. We got married last January and it's bliss. Like I I literally wake up singing with this man every day and we go to bed high and naked every night together. And we're having we're having the best, best of days. It's the best. God, that makes me happy. Thank you. It really is like, I feel like I give people hope. I want to give people hope because I never thought I could find joy again after losing Christian. I never 
let alone finding love. I never thought I'd truly smile again. And it took a long time. And I went on so many paths. I went, I mean, I discovered Burning Man and then I did ayahuasca journeys. And I went, I mean, I just like kind of was on this, like got into crypto. I mean, I was on a mission to just a pilgrimage to just heal and, and evolve and, and, and try to make sense of why this happened, you know? And, um, I am such a profoundly better human having gone through that, that, and to appreciate and know that I deserve what I have right now and, and he deserves it. And it's, it's a totally different thing to love, to be in a place of total self-love and acceptance, you know, because you can't have that without having what I have with Ross. That's amazing. You give, you give us hope. So before I let you go, plug, plug the cool new fucking podcast that I'm going to be on at some point. Yeah, you are. I'm totally, I'm following up with my team right now. Oh yeah. Starting up at the end of the month. Yeah. It's called Raised by Ricky, you guys. It's for anyone that grew up with me. Um, It's all things Ricky Lake show. I mean, we're going from behind the scenes producers with their perspective, talking to old um, favorite guests with incredible stories. We talked to celebrities that were on the show. I know we're having uh, Donnell Rawlings, who's an amazing comedian who got his start on my show. Mm-hmm. He's fantastic. We had John Waters. I did Andy Cohen yesterday. Uh, we had Rosie on. It's just, it's, 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 it's really for anyone that loved the show and even for people who didn't and want to know what went on back in the 90s. Ricky, I love you. I love you too. Great to talk to you. Ahura Media Production.